For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in, this, in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in him because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass, their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Good morning, Covenant. Christ is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. You know, I was uh, shopping, doing some shopping this week. And uh, as I was doing so, I was reminded of how when I was a child, my mom would take me shopping a couple of times a year, two times a year for new clothes. And one was in August before the beginning of the school year. And the clothes that were bought on that day, they had to last me the entire school year. Now, this was in the time before PlayStation and Xbox when guys actually played outside. So you can imagine what those clothes were looking like by the time Christmas came along, much less the end of the school year. By the time the end of the school year, there were patches ironed on. There was, you know, stitching everywhere. And, and I looked a mess and old. Those years when I had bad uh, growth spurts or big growth spurts, I went to school with high waters, and of course that's the butt of every joke. New clothes at the beginning of every school year. And the other time, and this is why it provoked this memory, was always a couple of weeks before Easter. My mom would get me in the car, she'd drive me to downtown Jacksonville where all the department stores were. This was before you know, malls proliferated and, and downtown was actually worth going to. And uh, it was, I knew on those days, I dreaded it because I was set for an entire day of shopping. Do you remember that when you were a kid? Your mom would take you shopping and it just felt like it never ended, right? It just forever and ever. And, and she would take me from you know, May Cohen's to Sears to Montgomery Ward, all the different uh, department stores and she was looking for a suit. And she would buy me a new suit every Easter, right before Easter, and she always bought it a little bit big. So every Easter, I always looked like I was a little swallowed in my suits. But she did this because she was expecting me to grow into it because that was my Sunday go to church clothing for the entire next 52 weeks until she would rinse and repeat, right? Uh, I kind of noticed some of you moms this morning, you might have that same inclination as my mom. I noticed your children today. They look a little spiffier than normal, right? They look a nicer. You, some of you went out, I can tell you bought new clothes for them. Some of you even got the big kid in your house to color coordinate with the rest of the family. Congratulations. I know that's because of the pictures that you're going to take later, right? But there's something about this. Why do we 
Why do we dress up for Easter? Why do we buy new clothes at Easter time? You know, is it, is it just because we have a photo booth and we want a, a family picture? No, I mean, Christian families have been doing this for generations and generations. You know, certainly uh, it's in part due to the fact that Easter is the most important weekend in the Christian calendar. I mean, this weekend, it defines our faith. Without this weekend, we don't have Christianity. Certainly, that's one reason to dress up and, and spiff it up a little bit. But I think there's something even more instinctively going on down deep within those of us who follow Christ. You see, Christians, people who've been committed their life to Christ and have been born again, we understand something, that the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. Changes everything. Tomorrow when you go to work and perhaps you have a conversation with a coworker and they ask, what did you do? I went to church for Easter and, and they ask you what that was like or whatever. And you come around to the message that the pastor brought. I hope that you will get this one thing that you maybe can communicate it in some way right? That the resurrection of Jesus, it changes the trajectory of our broken lives, and it promises for us a new life and a new world. This, at the personal level, at the individual level, at the level that you and I live on a weekly, daily basis, at that level, the resurrection of Jesus, it changes the destiny and the direction of our lives, giving us a new life. So just like the, the beginning of a new school year, or perhaps the beginning of a new job, or when you started a new relationship and it got a little more serious and it was time for that really first important, nice, romantic date, how do we as human beings instinctively respond to those types of new events in our lives? We buy clothes. <laughs> We buy some new clothes and we get ready for it, right? And so it's fitting. And when we think about the resurrection of Jesus, it brings to us the promise of a new life. And so why wouldn't we respond by buying some new clothes? Or for those of us who don't like clothes, a new rod and reel, you know, <laughs> at the strike zone. That's why it's on the car credit card, baby. So. Just celebrating the resurrection. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, scholars believe that this passage in 1 Peter is filled with statements that made up the core of the message of the apostles. In fact, the phrasing, the words that Peter uses in this portion of Scripture, it has the flavor of an early church creed, and it speaks to how Jesus gives us a new life. And so this morning, I want us to kind of hone in on this aspect of the passage. I want us to walk through and make several applications this morning, the very first of which is not all that pleasant to consider, but we have to consider it because it's in the passage. We are born needing a new life. We're born, every one of us, needing a new life. The scripture tells us in verse 4, 18, for you know that God paid a ransom. Ransom. That's a word most of us understand. The New Testament was written in Greek. The meaning is the same. 
We've all seen movies, perhaps. There was a movie called Ransom with Mel Gibson way back in, I think, the 90s or 2000s, something like that. We, we get the basic concept. For those of us who, uh, you know, were been around a little bit longer, we remember a very famous kidnapping in American history. Back in the 70s, uh, Patty Hearst was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army. This became so famous and so captivated the, the nation, it made the cover of Time magazine. Um, she was an, uh, the, the heir or one of the granddaughters of William Randolph Hearst, the great a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, and publisher. He was, you know, wealthy beyond imagination. Of course, he was the granddaughter, one of many heirs her, her dad was. And, and so this case, this really captivated our country. You'll notice it's got her picture, and there's also a picture of her there holding a machine gun. But she was kidnapped by these radicals, and, and it was through this kidnapping that many of us became familiar with a term called Stockholm Syndrome. Right? She, she was kept in captivity in a dark closet with blindfolds, and she was indoctrinated. And after a while, when her parents were unable to pay the ransom, she ended up identifying with the kidnappers so much that they freed her. She became a part of the gang and participated in their criminal activities and robbed a bank and all kinds of different things until she was pardoned by Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. So we're all familiar with this idea of ransom, right? The, the Greek uh, understanding is very similar to ours. The word means to rescue, to liberate from an oppressive condition, to set free by paying a price. What do we need to be liberated from? You know, we're Americans, right? We love our freedom. We actually have a holiday that is all about celebrating our national freedom. We, we insist on our freedom that we have the right to do whatever we want to do as long as it's within the law. What do we need to be freed from? This is the, the same question that the Jews were asking Jesus in his day. They too felt they were free. They, in John chapter 8, Jesus is having a discussion with this massive crowd of Israelites, many of whom were extremely religious and morally upright, and he tells them, you're not free, but if you trust in me, if you follow me, if you commit your life to me and you love me, you will be free indeed. And they got indignant. They were angry. They said, we're not slaves. Don't you know who you're talking to? We're the children of Abraham. Abraham is our father. We've never been enslaved to anyone. To which Jesus replied to them, you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. In other words, they cast aspersion on the very parentage of Jesus. And Jesus continues on to say, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. God says to these Israelites, he says to us, you're not born free. Not in the most important understanding of the word. You do not have the ability to do anything that is pleasing to me. You don't have the capability of doing a one good work that impresses me or brings about my favor. <clears throat> Excuse me. Instead, God says something very different. He says, we have an inheritance from our ancestors that leads to nothing more 
than an empty, vain life if we are not ransomed and set free. This is how we're born. We all need this. He tells us that we're born as slaves to sin. What does that look like? When we think of slaves, we think of people in in chains or being forced to do horrible things who've lost all their freedom. Jesus tells us what it's like. God tells us, and through the Apostle Paul, he's, he's bringing in a passage that David, the great king of Israel, wrote in the book of Psalms. The man after God's own heart, and this is what God said to them. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single person. He's talking about us. This is how we're born. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. This is the verdict of God. And why is this our birthright? Why is this the inheritance of our ancestors? Because the scriptures tell us that when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world and death came about by sin, for we all sin like Adam. He's our forefather. He's our ancestor. And as a result, the terrible verdict upon each of us this morning is that the moment our life began as a human being, that was the exact moment that we began to need a new life. Every one of us is born needing a new life. That's kind of grim. Grim way to start this Easter morning. So let's pivot and see something that is good news. The second application from the text, God did everything necessary to give us new life. We're all born needing a new life, but the good news is that God did everything necessary to give us new life. For you know that God, God paid a ransom. You know those uh, parents of Patty Hearst? they received a ransom demand. Now, the Seminese Liberation Army, they may have been radical and violent, but they were not the sharpest tools in the shed. The ransom was this. We want you to give $70 worth of food to every impoverished Californian. Now, that may not sound like much, but all the way back in the 1970s, that was 5 million people. It was $400 million worth of food. They didn't have that kind of money. I mean, he was just one of many heirs. He negotiated with the kidnappers and got it down to $2 million. I wouldn't mind him going with me the next time I go to buy a car. I mean, that's that's quite the step down, right? He went and took a loan out for $2 million. According to the terms, he gave it to a charity in San Francisco that they would distribute to the needy. He paid the ransom. And then they reneged on the deal. They didn't release her. This idea of of ransom. God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. 
Before the universe was ever created, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit conferred together. They made a plan for redemption. They made a choice to do everything necessary to ransom us from the slavery of sin and to give us a new life. That choice meant that God himself had to take on flesh he became a human being, just as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 a few moments ago in our reading as a church. He became a human being. He perfectly fulfilled the law of God in our place, the law that every one of us is responsible to perfectly obey based upon the conditions given to Adam in the Garden of Eden, the law that every one of us breaks innumerable counts of times. Jesus perfectly obeyed in our place, and then, as his reward, he took our place on the cross and experienced the punishment for our sins, he who never sinned. Why would God do this? Why would God pay that kind of ransom? He tells us, for God so what? loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have eternal life through Jesus. God positioned himself between us and his own wrath and judgment towards our sins. The only person who could ever satisfy the wrath of God towards our sins was God himself taking on human flesh, substituting himself in our place. The scriptures tell us in Galatians 3 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. When he has hung on that cross, on that crucifixion day, the sins of God's people were placed upon his shoulders. He put himself between us and God's wrath and experienced every ounce of God's judgment that we ourselves deserve. And he paid that price. Peter tells us in the next chapter in 1 Peter, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you have been healed Jesus became that perfect Lamb of God that we sang about just a few moments ago. He became that perfect Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for our sins. You know, this week I read an article from in the Wall Street Journal. And it was a, it was a really good article. Uh, and the theme of it, the talk about it was... Uh, Jesus and that last Passover, what that was like in Jerusalem. And, and, and the author was wondering, why did the crowd respond like they did to Jesus when Pilate brought him out? It was, it was a good article. It made the point that, you know, you think about that Passover, that day, 250,000 families made their way to Jerusalem. Over 2 million people would swell that city. And they either brought a perfect lamb with them or they bought one. And they all had to arrive about se at least seven days ahead of time. They had to go through a ritual cleansing at the temple or else they couldn't participate in the Passover. And then as the Passover proceeded, they brought their lamb to the temple where it was sacrificed and the blood was shed. And for miles around the city of Jerusalem, you could smell 
the blood of those animals as it you know, saturated the atmosphere. It was an excellent article, but the author missed, I think, the, the most significant aspect, that it was not a coincidence that Jesus was crucified and sacrificed on the normal day of Passover as this being about to be celebrated. This was not a coincidence because the entire Old Testament, the entire law had been pointing for centuries to the fact that there would one day come the perfect Lamb of God. Those 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed in that ritual, none of that obtained forgiveness of the sins of those people. The sacrifice of lambs and goats and bulls, the, the, the scriptures tell us, cannot bring about the remission of sins. But it does take the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. But it's the shedding of the perfect Lamb of God. And all of those Old Testament rituals were pointing to the fact that one day the perfect Lamb of God would come and he would be sacrificed and shed his blood once for all, for every sin of every one of his people for all of eternity in one act. And this is what happened. And this is why the scriptures here tell us it was not with silver and gold that our ransom was paid. It was with the precious blood of Christ. The price for our new life is so much more than $400 million, as great a sum of ransom that is. The price for our ransom was the shed blood of God himself, the perfect lamb of God. It's a price that's incomprehensible, that's infinite. But it's exactly what Jesus said he was here to do. In Mark chapter 10, he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, say it with me, ransom for many. This is why he came. The, about 400 years ago, there was a great Puritan pastor and writer. He's still widely read today, Thomas Watson. He made a great observation. He says, great was the work of creation, but greater still the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than to make us. In the one, there was but the speaking of a word and our creation, but in the other, our redemption, there was the shedding of blood. We are born, church, needing a new life. But the good news is that God did everything necessary to give us this new life. And many of you here this morning, you have already begun to experience this new life that comes through Jesus. But others of you have not. What I'm saying to you is maybe intellectually interesting. You may even understand it at one level. But at the most important level, the level of the heart and the soul, you do not understand what I'm talking about because you have not experienced it. And so this next application, this is specifically for you. Please listen carefully. You will never in your life hear anything more important than what you're about to hear. That's a bold statement, but it's true because it's your soul that we're talking about. The moment we believe in Jesus, our new life begins. 
We're all born needing a new life. God has done everything necessary to give us new life. When do we get that new life? The moment we believe in Jesus Christ, that new life begins. The scriptures say it very clearly, through Christ. You have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. What does it mean to trust in God? to place your faith and your hope in God. Let me give you three words, okay? You might wanna write these down. First word is turn. The second word is believe. The third word is commit. Turn, believe, commit. Let's, Let's unpack it a little bit. Turn from your old life. To place your faith in God, in Jesus Christ, means first to turn from your old life. It means to acknowledge that what I said earlier in this message about being born a slave to sin, incapable of doing anything to please God, to save ourselves, to merit God's mercy and favor, it means to turn from that kind of life where we believe that we are good enough to, in some way, at the end of our life, earn eternal life. Turn from the idea of self-works, and self-righteousness, and self-salvation, and instead, turn to Christ. Turn from your old life. Secondly, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. This message that Jesus came to take on human flesh, to pay the penalty that we were to pay, to live the life that we were to live, to sacrifice himself for all of our sins. This is the good news that Jesus died and he rose again in our place. This is the good news of the gospel where God put upon him the sins of us all so that we might have the righteousness of God himself and enter into his presence as his children. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's no longer our works but it's believing in the work of Jesus. We turn, we believe the gospel. Now this last portion is extremely important. It's commit, commit to Jesus. You know, the scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this is committing our lives to Jesus, saying, I I was a slave to sin. I now see this, that I cannot please you, God, because of how I was born in this world. Instead of being a slave to sin, I want to be a slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. It's no longer me living for myself, doing as I want to do, seeing life through my own lenses and my own perspective. Instead, it's living according to Christ and what he says, because my life is no longer mine, it's his. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your new life begins the very moment you commit yourself to Jesus and follow him as Lord. Verse 22 says, you were cleansed from your sins 
when you obeyed the truth. The good news is your new life starts the moment you commit to Christ and you turn and you believe and you commit. At that moment, the scriptures tell us every one of our sins, past, present, future, they're all put under the blood of that sacrificial lamb of God and we enter into the family of God. The moment you believe. Some of you this morning, you need to believe. You need this new life, or else you face an eternity separated from God. One final application this morning. It's for all of us. It's a neat idea, and it's in this scripture. Our new life, it's eternal, and it's guaranteed by God himself. You know, in June, I'm going to begin a series of messages entitled, Our Future Glory. Uh, We're going to see what our eternity looks like, uh, what heaven looks like for those who have already passed away and are now in the presence of God himself. We're going to see what God has planned for us and what he has planned for the world and what the world should expect to see in the years and days leading up to the end of this age and when he begins the new age. So we're going to really get in in that series what our eternal life is going to be like. But this morning, or what our new life is going to be like, this morning, I want us to just walk away with two very simple but important concepts. This new life, first of all, what is it? It's eternal. It's not temporal. It's not something that's going to pass away. It's eternal. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end, he says. Your new life will last forever. Through Christ, our future is now being forever changed. Our eternity, our eternal life, what's going to happen to us after death is now radically different for those who follow Christ than what it was before we followed Christ. But the good news of the gospel and what we have to understand about eternal life is that eternal life does not start after we die. When we think about eternal life, it means, oh, we never know. No, eternal life means that something happens to us the moment we are born again. For you've been born again, not to a life that will quickly end, but to a life that will last forever. A life that starts, according to the text, right now. You begin to experience eternal life right now. We don't trust in Christ solely because one day when we die after living a miserable existence here on earth, at least we avoid the flames of hell. No. The good news of the gospel is that he changes us right now. And we begin to experience heaven on earth as we commune with God and we have his presence and his power in our lives. This is what it means to have eternal life. So you think about that. Think about it for a moment this morning, church. So many here this morning, you walked into this church with all kinds of past. You brought your your burdens, your wounds, your junk, your dysfunctions, your addictions, your sin, the horrible things of your past. And what the gospel tells us, this good news of our eternal life, is that Jesus, in redeeming us from our sins, he redeems everything that has happened in our past. He's redeeming our present, and he's going to redeem our future for his glory and for his good. Isn't it amazing that we can have such 
varied and sometimes horrendous backgrounds of things that we experience. And yet, Jesus is so powerful that by paying our ransom, he promises that all of those things, no matter how horrible they were, he's going to redeem it. He's going to redeem it. Our new life is eternal. And finally, our new life is guaranteed by God himself. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal, living word of God. But the word of the Lord, verse 25 says, remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you, church. Do you get what he's saying here? He's saying the reason why we can believe that when we come into God's family, we're never going to be kicked out. The moment we are married to Christ as the bride of Christ, we never have to worry about him divorcing us. We never have to worry about losing our salvation. Why? Because our redemption and our salvation is dependent upon God himself, not ourselves. We come into the family of God and we are redeemed not because of how good we are and how hard we work. We come into the family of God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and through his work on the cross and how good he was. We do not come in through our own goodness and through how hard we work. And guess what? We do not stay in this relationship through our own goodness and how hard we work. We came in through God's goodness and his hard work on our behalf, and we stay in because of God's goodness and his hard work on our behalf. He is the one who guarantees our salvation. He is the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the one who says, once I have you in my hands, I will never let you go. And no one, absolutely nothing, can ever pluck you out of my hands. Have the worst week you've ever had this week. Sin horribly atrociously and while God is not pleased with that sin and there will be consequences and there will be conviction and there will be all kinds of things that flow out of that sin what will not flow out of that sin is that he turns his back on you and kicks you out of his family and so you can rest and you can say praise God I come into the family and I receive new life because God gives me a new heart and he gives me Jesus and I stay in that family the same way. When Jesus rose from the dead, sin and death were defeated. He purchased our redemption. He paid the price for our ransom. And if you haven't done so this morning, I want to encourage you I want to encourage you to receive him this morning as your Redeemer, as your Savior, as your Lord. In a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song together as we take the offering. And when we stand and sing, I'm going to come over to my right over here. If you would like to start your new life this morning, meet me over here. Let's start your new life together.
The scripture says, when is the day of salvation? The answer, today is the day of salvation. Father, I ask that for those who are here who may not know you this morning, perhaps they came to church with a family friend or a family member because this is kind of a big day for Christianity. But Lord, when it comes to new life, they have not experienced what I'm talking about. They may even be a little bit confused and mystified by some of the language that I'm using this morning because they don't quite understand it because they've not experienced it. Lord, would you open their eyes even this morning? We know that salvation is of you, Lord Jesus, that you're the one who opens our eyes and gives us this grace, this heart that we need to believe. Would you do this act of grace in their lives this morning? Thank you, Father, for setting out that same grace in the hearts of many who are here. And Father, our burden is for those who've not yet tasted the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. Our burden is for those that are still enslaved to sin. May you give them the freedom they need. Would you do this work in their heart? Would you give them courage to commit this, even this morning, their lives to you? In your name we pray and ask these things, Jesus, for the good of these for whom we pray for the good of your kingdom and for your glory in their lives. Amen.